Um, hey, let's turn in our Bibles, if we would, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Um, if you are visiting with us, uh, we generally work through books of the Bible. And, uh, it, but uh, for the summer, we've taken a little bit of a breather. And uh, Oh, come on, man. We've taken a little bit of a breather here and uh, some assorted passages. So we're in Psalm 119. And we're going to start in verse 81, Psalm 119, verse 81, and this is God's word. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on the earth. But I have not forgotten your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about once a month, along with all the millions of uh, pieces of junk mail that I get and you get too, um, I open up this one particular thing and... uh, It says, it's so quaint, it says it on it, it's a monthly statement I get, and it says, keep this copy for your records. And I think, how cute, I don't have any records. Do you have records? Does anybody have records anymore? I mean, I guess some people have records, uh, but uh, you know, I I know marriage certificates, that's it, uh, not certificates, certificate, that's important. A car title is important. Insurance things are important. Okay, so yes, I have records. But you know, I remember when we first got married, I had a file for the MLG and W bill. And every month I would take my MLG and W bill and I'd put it in my file for my records. And uh, you know what happens with that? You die one day and then the next of kin takes all your MLG and W bills and they throw them out without ever looking at them. You know why? Because they're worthless. Next month they'll send you another one. And so it's like, do you have, save this for your records. Records, I don't need records. You have records. The records are out there. Anyway, all that to say, the idea was, in the, in, back in the day, and digitally is, that you want to have some kind of thing that you can point to and say, wait a second, there is a legal reality here. Um, a payment was made here. Um, a contract was made here. You want to be able to look back on something. Uh, you want to be able to say, I've got proof. It says right here what reality is. And that's the whole idea behind keeping something for your records. Well, the same principle applies, ladies and gentlemen, when a spiritual reality is challenged in your life. A spiritual reality is challenged, and what you need to be able to do is say, wait, 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 wait. Let me go back to the record. Let me go back to what is true, what I can bank on. Uh, Let me go back to the reality. And so if you want to know what the main idea of this point is, I think it is this. That is, every aspect of true hope is anchored in what God has said. Forget your hunches. Forget your 
perceptions of what you think is reality. What reality is, is what God has said about himself and about redemption and about you and about heaven, about your safekeeping. What God has said, what God has promised, that is the reality about God. And that's what we need to go to, uh, especially when um, our comforts are challenged. Well, if I asked you what Psalm 119 was about, uh, if I asked of someone who's been a Christian for a long time, what is Psalm 119 about? I think most of you would probably say God's law. And you would be right. In fact, um, most of you might even say more accurately, delighting in God's law. Because, boy, that's all over the place. Uh, a, taking pleasure in um, what God wants. Uh, that, that's, that would be a very good answer. And I'll tell you, there are at least uh, eight synonyms used in Psalm 119. You know, it's the longest chapter uh, in the book of Psalms. It's the longest psalm. Uh, it's the longest chapter in the book of the Bible, Psalm 119. Um, very known, very loved. Um, but at least eight different synonyms for the word of the Lord, what God says, are used in Psalm 119. Everybody agrees that there are at least eight. Some people say nine, some people say ten. But there's at least eight ways of talking about what God has said. And I'll just give you some quick ones. I'll just blaze through them. Uh, The word law or instruction shows up 24 times. Testimonies shows up 19 times. Precepts, 20 times. Statutes, 19 times. And then commandments, judgments, word, promise or sayings. I mean, 20 times, 20 times, just over and over again, God's word is referenced, what God has said. And you see the psalmist is delighting in that. And so if uh, Psalm 119 is anything, um, it highly regards God's word as being the same as God himself. In other words, um, this says, uh, in it, God says who he is. And uh, he says it to regenerated people in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. But it's not the only thing it's about. It's uh, housed in a kind of context. Um, If you look at verse 28 of our same chapter, uh, uh, 119, look at verse 28. This colors, the, this colors the text. Um, my soul melts away for sorrow. I'm so sad. It's like my soul is melting. That's a pretty freighted thing to say. Um, how about verse 25 of that same chapter? My soul clings to the dust. I mean, that's somebody who's feeling very down. Um, and so the, the psalmist is uh, delighting in God's law, but like I say, it's housed in an, in an architecture, and part of that architecture is uh, suffering. Part of that architecture is challenges to our understanding of what God has said that makes us go back to what God has said, all right? So let's look at our first point, which is this, the pinings of a sufferer. Um, if you look at uh, verse 81, let's look at the first line of it, my soul longs for your salvation. Now, let's be clear about what that does not say. He's not saying, uh, I need to be saved, and uh, I'm outside of the household of faith, and I, I need your salvation. That's what he, not what he's saying. Because if you look at the next line, I mean, it's spoken in the, in the present tense. I hope in your word. I mean, uh, that's a believing person who's currently in distress. And so when he's talking about uh, salvation, he's not saying, please save me spiritually. He's saying, help me. I mean, he says that exactly at the end of verse 86. Help me. That's what he's saying. I long for your salvation. Help me. 
And so you've got this poetically put uh, statement. Uh, look at verse uh, 82. Um, you know, my soul longs for your salvation. My eyes long for your promise. When will you comfort me? Uh, you, the, the, you have this promise in there too. Um, and that also pulls in a, a, a sense of longing for what is just. I mean, how long, uh, uh, when are you going to comfort me? My eyes long for your promise. He's, he's basically saying, God, you said you would help me. When are you going to help me? Um, I'm just reciting your promise back to you. And in that, there's a longing for what is just. There's a longing for God to um, interact in a just and helping way like he said he would do. And so that's the basis for the question then. When will you comfort me? And by the way, notice his condition. Um, In verse 83, he says, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Um, now, what does that mean, a wineskin in the smoke? I, I've, I've heard it described by commentators a number of ways. Um, one of them says, um, well, you know, a wineskin in the smoke gets stinky, and uh, if you put something in it, then what goes in it is stinky. And, uh, okay, maybe so. Uh, I do remember buying some uh, neckties at, uh, what's not, not, not dumb as dirt, or what's, the, what's the, the other one? Hudson's. Hudson's. Have you ever been to Hudson's Salvage in Mississippi? Anybody ever been to Hudson's? Okay. Well, you know, it's just piles of stuff, and you're just picking through it, and uh, it's super cheap. And anyway, I bought, this is, I mean, 25 years ago, I bought some neckties, and I was like, man, these things are Countess Wera or whatever, some old-timey type tie. I mean, these things are expensive ties, but they had been in a, a fire. And let me tell you, that smoke never left those ties. I mean, I, we couldn't even keep them in the house. I threw them out like 15 years later. They were still stinky. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, maybe that's what that means. Uh, and yet other, other people will cite that, uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in an ancient Palestinian home, uh, fires were burning all the time. Everything was in smoke. You smelled like smoke. Everything smelled like smoke. So um, maybe that may or may not work. What I think it means is what most people think it means, which is a wine skin was an animal skin, and uh, people would put uh, liquid in that animal skin, and it had to be supple, right? I mean, there are other instances in the Bible where it talks about it bursting. It's got to be supple. There's got to be give. And you put wine skin in the smoke, it dries out, becomes cracked and brittle, and uh, not, not, not uh, in good condition. And I think that's what this guy's saying. I think he's saying, I'm like a dry, cracked, about to fall apart, can barely function as I'm supposed to function, wineskin in the smoke, a bottle in the smoke. That's what I'm like. That's a very honest thing, isn't it? I mean, people come into church and they think, oh, well, they're all so happy in there and it's, it's so sanitized. And then you have idiot preachers who are going, well, if you come to Christ, all your problems will be solved. Really? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. You run away from anybody who tells you that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Rather, the Bible is glad and unashamed to record people's struggles, the same kind of struggles you have, questions and hurt, uh, problems, complexity, relational, spiritual, emotional, physical, all those things. And this guy says, I'm, I'm cracked. I'm about to fall apart. Well, what's the application for your life? Um, I, I, I bet uh, some of you are cracked and about to fall apart. I bet you know people who are cracked and about to fall apart. What's the answer? Well, we get a lesson from the psalmist. He says in, uh, um, yeah, verse 16 of the same chapter, he says, uh, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
Uh, look at verse 47. Uh, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you love God's commandments? I do. I love them. But you know, I confess that I tend to love God's commandments in a broad way. I tend to love um, the idea of God's commandments. Does that make sense? I affirm that God is the creator, and I affirm that God has operated in a theater of redemption that has pulled me in, and I marvel over grace, and I'm secure in my salvation, and I I, 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 I worship this God, and I, I know his spirit dwells in me. I, 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 I affirm those things, but what I'm saying to you is they, they really become a lot more personal when, I, when I'm challenged. Is that like you too? Um, when uh, things that keep you comfortable are challenged, when your health is affected. Um, you, know, you know, I tweeted this recently. I said, um, your attitude toward the Bible says much about the validity of your salvation. It's a pretty good tweet, isn't it? It goes on. Are you under the Bible's authority? Are you under God's book? You get that? Your attitude about the, what, about the Bible says much about the validity of your salvation. If you're suspect of the Bible, well, I don't know about all that. I don't know. There's a problem. If you're suspect of God's word, then you have you got problems, spiritual problems. I'm not talking about a, a tr- troubled and having questions and wanting to know answers, but I mean if you're if you're sneeringly suspect of God's word, you have you have a spiritual problem, and you may not be in the household of faith. By the way, um, if you don't feel like you're under God's book, under the authority of His book, if you kind of go, well, I don't know if that really applies to me, and what I would like that to say is this, and I would, uh, I'd really, I would change that. I'm, I don't, I just, I believe this, but I, I just don't believe uh, this. Uh, you know, people go, I believe many of the things Jesus says. You know what a good answer for you, uh, for that is? Well, what, uh, what, of, what things that Jesus has said do you agree with? And then they go, humana, humana, humana. They don't know, they don't know anything. All right. So the, so what I'm saying is, if you're suspect of God's word. There's a spiritual problem, maybe grave danger. But the Christian accepts God's word as his word, his word and his words. And so we know that we're supposed to delight in God's law, um, but sometimes it's just a concept we agree with until we experience some kind of suffering. When we're cracked and dried out and we're saying things like, help me, well, that makes it really personal, doesn't it? And what you see this uh, psalmist doing is uh, returning to God's word. My soul longs for your salvation, verse 81, I hope in your word. Uh, When are you going to comfort me? I'm like a cracked wineskin, end of verse 83, yet I've not forgotten your statutes. I mean, in his struggle, he goes back to the truth. It's like that receipt that you go back to and go, wait a second, this is my reality, my legal reality, my spiritual reality, my relational reality with this God. You go back to what's true. And that's why I say every aspect of true hope is anchored in what God has said. Not how you feel. You're about to sing that, by the way. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. It's what God has said, ladies and gentlemen. It's what God has done. Hey, last thing on this uh, as an illustration, we'll move on. 
you know, you go to the, you go to Destin or a fair or something like that, and uh, it's kind of semi-passe now, but, you know, ejector seats, there's always some kind of life-threatening thing from an ejector seat to a bungee jump to a swing that you swing on and all those kinds of things, and, you know, let's go to the ejector seat. You're sitting in that ejector seat, ejector seat and they're going, and they're winding you up, they're ready to let you go. Um, you are exercising faith, aren't you? You're exercising faith in the tattooed, carny-looking guy down there. Uh, you're exercising faith in the, uh, you know, the uh, ar- architects who put that thing together and, uh, the, you know, how old the rubber is on that thing. And, uh, but you know what? When they go like this, and you start your ascent, you're really exercising faith. <laughs> I mean, when you're flying through the air, you're exercising faith. And what I'm saying to you is, when you face struggles and suffering as this psalmist, you're flying through the air at that point. And uh, it would behoove you to go back to what you trust in, which is what God has said he would do. All right, second point, um, the persecution of a servant. Um, If we look at verse 84, um, it says, How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? Now, this is not just a a moment of annoyance that he's going through. Uh, It's an aspect of long-term suffering we're seeing here. Um, In verse 87, it says, um, uh, yeah, they've almost made an end of me on the earth. Well, that sounds pretty severe, doesn't it? They've almost made an end of me on on the earth. It's this this suffering that's profound and felt uh, uh, acutely. Look at verse 85. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. Wow, Uh, but it says uh, in verse 80, the end of it, they do not live according to your law. And again, we see the psalmist with this desire for for justice, for things being done rightly so that God might be uh, uh, brought glory. And so even though there's personal hurt and offense, it doesn't usurp his desire for God to be brought glory, his desire to keep coming back to what God has said. And though the situation is uh, intense and personally dangerous, I mean, it seems even physically dangerous, the writer returns to his bedrock of hope. All your commandments are sure, he says in verse 86, uh, verse 87, uh, the end of it. I have not forgotten your precepts. He goes back to what God has said, back to what God has said. So disappointment, discouragement, about to fall apart, physical threat, persecution, things pressing on him from the outside, he still returns to what God has said. That's where he finds his comfort. Okay, so application for your life. Another thing Christians like to say is uh, that God has a plan. He does. He does. So we like to say that, that God has a plan. And uh, somebody will be going through some hard time and somebody will go, well, you know what? God has a plan for your life. And uh, that's that's part of what we say in evangelism, that God has a plan for your life. And that's true. It's a good thing to say. We believe he does. We cling to verses like this. This is Romans 8, 28 in the NIV. It says, for we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That's a, that's a gospel reality and a promise that God is working all things together for good. We're the ones who love him. We're the ones who are called according to his purpose. In your life, Christian, God is working all things together for good. We cling to that. He's got, he's got a plan, in other words. How about this? Jeremiah 19.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I love this. This is the ESV. Plans for 
wholeness and not even evil. Plans for your flourishing. Plans for your best in every respect. Wise respect from this infinitely wise and good God. That's a comfort, isn't it? God's got a plan. It's a good plan. Um, but listen to the uh, King James Version of that same verse. I know the thoughts I think toward you to give you an expected end. Now, what kind of a God is that? He knows the thoughts he thinks toward you. God thinks thoughts toward you. You know what they are? It's not, ew, bleh, she's so gross, mean. Ooh, he's so gross, he thinks about gross things. Now, he sees the righteousness of his son. Your sin crucified on the cross. What God does is he thinks thoughts toward you. And they're good thoughts. He's got a plan uh, to give you an expected end. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, who knows the end? God. That's why it's expected. What happens to us then is we go through life and we have our own plans. And our plans don't come to fruition. Our plans get changed. Uh, Things are imposed upon us. Things are inserted into our lives. Uh, Things change that were once the way we liked them, and then they change, and they're they're not ever going to be that way again. And it's it's, it's frustrating. And then, of course, things affect us from the outside in from, via persecution, um, emotional things, physical things, actual things. But here's where we must return. Verse 86, all your commandments are sure. The end of verse 87, I have not forgotten your precepts. Um, 81, I hope in your word, 83, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. Ladies and gentlemen, to hope in God's word is to hope in God himself. God reveals himself. To to hope in God's word is to hope in God personally. All right, our last point, and we'll spend the least amount of time on this, the the perseverance of a saint. Uh, Look at verse 88, Um, just this one verse. He says, in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Now, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, um, I probably should have said this earlier, but uh, you know who wrote Psalm 119? Nobody knows. Some people go, well, it's obviously David because David had suffering. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, so did Jeremiah. He's in the running. Hezekiah's in the running. Ezra's in the running. Uh, who else? Nehemiah's in the running. Some people think it was uh, Daniel. Uh, in fact, it, it very well me. I, I think it probably is post-exilic. Uh, this is called an orphan psalm, if you don't have a superscription that has a, that has a name on it. Uh, it's called an orphan psalm. And um, we don't know who wrote it. It's not specified. But, but whoever did had hurt and persecution in his life. And isn't that kind of a comfort? We can't just go, oh, it's obviously David because he's the only one the Bible ever records who has hurt. That's not true. There's lots of people, loads of people um, that, that are flawed, are hurt, are persecuted, are challenged, are frustrated, are lonely, uh, lots of people. But what is this, ladies and gentlemen, verse 88? In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. What is that except an articulation of perseverance of the saints? 
<laughs> what is that? I mean, when he says, uh, in your steadfast love, give me life, he's not talking about being dead in transgressions and sins. Oh, save me from my sins. He's not. He's, already, he's a redeemed person. He's already approaching God uh, clearly as one of God's own. Um, and, 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 and so basically, he's a saved person who is, in essence, saying, God, give me life that is abundant. Give me life that is abundant because I yield that life to you. That's basically what he's saying. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Sanctify me. Make me more like Jesus. Keep me. And notice that direct petition too. Um, In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of my mouth. It it doesn't say, um, help me get my life together, God. I really got to get my life together. He doesn't say that. He says, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of of, uh, your mouth. It expresses utter reliance upon what God has done. It expresses uh, reliance upon God's enabling that this thing can't be done in our own power, which we tend to like to do. Well, I just got to pull my life together. I got to get back to church and I got to do better things. I got to be a better person. Um, But that's that's not the gospel reality. It is that God enables us. Um, this is what a persevering saint looks like. All right, to close. Um, there, was a, there was an old uh, Sean Connery movie from the 90s where he's like a master thief, you know, and uh, he wears uh, like uh, uh, tan linen. He looks fantastic. And uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in there, and she's his like person. She just, you know, slides under the wires and stuff like that, and they work together. But there's this line in there that I've never forgotten where he says, and I, had, I, look it up, I looked it up so I would get it, exactly right. He says, um, if I'm late, it's because I'm dead. That's what he tells her. And he tells her, you know, just early on in the movie, if I'm late, it's because I'm dead. And uh, you go, whoa. And listen, you believe it. And so late in the movie, when he is late on the train platform, the whole crowd is just going, he's dead. He's not dead. But, but you think, oh, sure enough, he's, gonna be, he's dead. Um, because, uh, you know, he said so. He said so in such a profound way. And yet in the movie, it's Sean Connery's fallible word, right? I mean, things can happen. But guess what? God's got an infallible word. God is unchanging. God is true to his promises. God backs his promises by his own nature, which means when he says, I got a plan for you, he can't break that promise. He can't and he won't. And so every aspect of true hope is anchored in what God has said, ladies and gentlemen. You know, um, if God says in his word that he's going to rejoice over you, you can bank on it. And it says that. If uh, it says that God will continually work for your good, then you can go back to that truth and say, ah, here's my reality. If um, God says that he thinks peaceful and beneficial thoughts about you, then you can trust that. It's a promise. If God says uh, he will never let anything separate you from the love of God in Christ, including your own self and your own foolishness, he means that. You can go back to what's true. It's his infallible word. And so what I would say to you is, uh, here's my advice. Rest in that. Rest in that. But listen, just for now, Are you you cracked and dried out and worn out and smoky and scared and persecuted and, and, and there's pitfalls? 
But just rest in what God has said, just now. And then later on, rest in it again. And then later on, rest in it again. And tomorrow morning, ask God for the grace to rest in it again. Keep going back to this personal God um, who says what he means um, and is what he says. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we call you that so much um, that it almost becomes cliched in our ears. We, we, we flop over it in prayers, Father, Father, Father God. But um, you're a personal God, and more than that, you're a father to um, your children. And um, we thank you for that, and we thank you that you've um, shared yourself in your word and shared yourself uh, by the, the Spirit who dwells in us, who applies that word and applies that word and applies that word. All of your ministry is an application of what you have said in your word. And we pray that you would just impress that upon our hearts. Um, not that we could have a theological um, gold star, but that we would be comforted. Um, we who have cracked skin and are smoky. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, who saves. Amen.